Uh, and everybody in this church is just as sweet as she is. Isn't that wonderful to know? Now, there might be one or two exceptions. There's always some exceptions, but mostly that is true. And, uh, we're, you know, I couldn't help but think as we're hearing all of that, there's no end to the things that we could be involved in, and every, there's a place for everybody. Wonderful to have Kurt Bandy here on the platform. And uh, Kurt, you've got a lot of fans out there, sounds like. Uh, Kurt is one of the leaders in our young adult ministry, and we're so grateful for what is going on there. And he is going to read the Scripture for us this morning. Kurt. John 4, 27 to 36 says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four, yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. And uh, you emphasize that at the right spot. Rejoice together. And I believe that as we anticipate the days ahead, Everybody in this place has the potential to go out of here excited and able to rejoice. And I think if you can anticipate what could be done and what you'll want to be a part of, you'll be able to rejoice perhaps like you've never rejoiced in your entire life because uh, there is something pretty exciting that I want to uh, talk to you about this morning because here's, here's the deal. I believe that it's very possible and probable, really, that if we're open, everybody here this morning can receive the greatest spiritual food you have ever received in your entire life. Now, how's that for a presumptuous statement? But I tell you, if you listen carefully, and if we are into the Word and what God would have us do, not only can this be a, a, a blessing that can begin here this morning, and I think this can be a great new beginning for all of us. It can be perpetual. It will be ongoing. And it will be what we can experience every day, really. And what will happen is this. We'll receive an energy, a satisfaction, a sense of uh, purpose and uh, anticipation because of what we can be involved in maybe like we have never experienced before in all of our lives. I believe it has the potential, what we want to share here today, to bring us alive, alive like we never thought possible. Because you see, some people do not have much of a purpose. And there's a lot of people around who are kind of down. Uh, some are depressed. They're 
beyond being down, and this time of the year takes its toll, as we all have heard and maybe you've experienced. And lots of times, the reason that people are not energized and are not full of enthusiasm or anticipation or getting much satisfaction out of life is just because they have no real purpose. And before you're out of here today, you can be a part of the highest purpose that God intended for us all to experience. And there is, listen, there is power in purpose. And if we don't have purpose, there's no strength. It's kind of dismal, and it's discouraging and depressing. But the more purpose we have, the more alive we will be, and the more energized we will be, and the more on fire we'll be if we really have purpose, especially if that purpose is in harmony with what God intends for every one of us. So, for the next six weeks, we are going to be involved in something that is very strategic. Now, some of you may think that's kind of a business term, strategy. But I'll tell you what, anything that was ever accomplished in the Bible, there was a strategy behind what was accomplished. I'm not going to go into detail in trying to prove that to you this morning, but if you want to ask about it, feel free. And, and some of the greatest strategies ever are here in the Word of God as it related to getting done what God intended for us to do and what God wants to see done. Now, let me ask you this. If in the next six weeks you could anticipate that there will be a hundred people that will come to know Jesus as Savior and be transformed from death unto life, could that excite you? And if it was a ch uh, one of your children or a relative or a father or mother or somebody, a friend that you know or some co-worker, and that person got transformed by the power of the gospel, could that not excite you? And I don't think there's anything that is really more exciting than to see people we love and people we know coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So this morning, I want to give you a little piece of history an exciting piece of history. My wife and I came here to pastor 48 years ago. <laughs> I know you don't think that she could be 48 years old herself, but anyway. And I'm, we had two little children. One was six months old, and, uh, and we began our journey here in this church. My first Sunday here, I believe, was the third Sunday of July after Beulah Camp was over with. It's the first two Sundays of July. And I do remember on that Sunday, we had 65 people. Now, that was a summer Sunday, and the attendance was larger than that, but it wasn't a large attendance. We had a little church downtown on the corner of Queen and Archibald Street that later burned down after we moved up here. And, uh, and I stopped by there the other day just to see how much property we had down there. The only property we had was a property that the building sat on, maybe another two or three feet outside. No parking, no nothing else except just where that little building sat. There are now eight parking spots. That's how much land we had, enough for eight parking spots uh, which the build, where the building sat. And I remember that there, there was talk about the church wanting to break through 
and be able to have at least 200 in Sunday school. Now, in those days, that's the way you grew the church. Culture changes, ways of doing things has to change, methods change, but the message never, ever, ever changes. And so uh, there was a somewhat of a disappointment because they tried to break that barrier many times, but it had never happened. And so there was just kind of a sense, it seems like, is it ever going to happen? The church had been around for almost 100 years. And it had some fluctuation in attendance, but not any great fluctuation in attendance. And so I, early on, sensed that there was a huge need and a huge problem because it seemed like we were kind of stuck. And so I just felt an urgency that somehow we've got to get unstuck here in a hurry or it's never going to happen if we don't do it right away because the church had gone on so long without being able to see some of those goals realized. We had limited facilities, just the basement of the church, and, uh, and so there was an urgent need for a breakthrough. And uh, I remember trying, and we set a goal to try to break that 200 barrier. And, and of course, it's not about the number thing. It's about seeing people come to Christ. You can all see that, can't you? It's beyond just number, but that helps us to see people come to Christ. And, and so uh, we, we just had such limited facilities. We rented a Knights of Pythias Hall, I think it was, on the third floor of that building. And we'd go up there every Sunday morning and clean it up with beer bottles and cigarette butts and smell and try to get it ready to have Sunday school there so we'd have space to, to grow and go forward. That building is no longer in existence either. And I remember as we tried to get this thing rolling, the people were just not excited about it at all, and, and nobody was really doing much about it. And, and I realized that it just if I depended upon the people at that time, because they were reluctant, it just wasn't going to happen. And, and so I knew it could happen if we got people involved. And how I knew it could happen before I came here to Moncton, I pastored in a little town north of Holton, Maine, called Monticello, Maine. I'm from New Brunswick, Carlton County, but this was a church that I pastored before coming here. 1,100 people in that little town. And again, we set goals to break barriers that people just laughed at. They just think it was just impossible to do. And I remember one time we set this goal again for that little town, 1,100 people, six churches in the town. These knuckles knocked on every door in that town more than once and uh, visited just about everybody in the town to try to encourage them. And so we, in, in this whole thing of trying to reach that 200 mark, I remember I knocked on doors all for, well, a long time, weeks perhaps, but certainly the last week, and, and uh, out of a hundred, and so I had the names, the names of 128 people who told me they would be there that weren't attending the church, that they would be there for that day. And so on Friday and Saturday, I went over all of those names and contacted all of those 128 people to remind them that t Sunday was the, was the big day that we we're looking forward to them being there. And listen to this. Out of 128, 117 came. 
So that would prove to me that there's power in the invitation. There's power in the invitation. But if people are never invited, there's not much going to happen if they're not invited. So I could not get our people here to get with it. And so I said, well, look, will you give me the names of prospects that I can contact myself? And so I remember working day and night, and they did give me the names of prospects, even though they didn't get involved themselves. And that was a great help, but I had to do it all myself. And so the big day came when we were hoping for 200 in Sunday school. And there was a great enthusiasm and a great excitement, a great buzz as the crowds become, began to come. And I know that doesn't seem maybe to us today like much of a crowd, but I'll tell you what, that was a big crowd in that day. And out of, instead of having 200 on that day, we had 237 people show up. The power of invitation. And I remember we said, this is a record-breaking Sunday. Do you remember those big old records uh, that they used to have back there, the vinyl, whatever you call them? Uh, we broke that over the superintendent's head because it was a record-breaking Sunday. And, and here's, here's the interesting part. Here's the interesting part. All the people, they were rejoicing and say, see what we have done. They hadn't done a blessed thing. <laughs> However... However, I was thrilled to death they felt that way because it helped them to have a believability that there could be greater things happen in the future if they got involved in inviting people. And so we see now the rest is kind of history as what has happened over the years as a result of people inviting people. Now, the old way of doing it, and I say methods change, culture changes, and because of the demands of culture, we have to find different ways of doing it. And we used to knock on doors. I have knocked on thousands of doors in this city, all up and down the streets, all over this city, inviting people. And you know, by the way, when you invite somebody and you say to them, I'd like to have you uh, attend, uh, come to our church for whatever the occasion might be, and it usually would be something special, the answer is, oh, will I attend such and such a church? Now, they could hardly remember the name of the church, and they certainly didn't know the pastor of the church. And so we would say, we're just wondering if you attend church regularly. And that would kind of help sort it out a little bit so that then we could go on and give them the invitation uh, to come. And I've knocked on thousands of but I've never had a door slammed in my face yet. You know something? It's hard to slam a door in a smiling face. And so I'll tell you what, I'd make sure I was smiling when I went up to the door because you never knew for sure what was behind the door. The closest I ever came to it, I was in the summertime down in the east end of the city and invited this little guy, I can't remember how old, uh, to ride on our bus. Now, in today's culture, you couldn't be doing that. But in that day, there was enough trust that you could be inviting people left and right, uh, children and what have you. And so, all at once, I heard this awful, loud, gruff voice. And I turned around, and this, is it all right to say this? Extra large lady <laughs> looked at me, and she said, what do you want? Scared me half to death. I became so meek and mild. I said, well, I was just kind of wondering if, you know, if, if, if maybe, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, if maybe this uh, 
little boy might, uh, this boy might like to come to, to uh, <clears throat> uh, our church. She looked at him. She said, you hear that? You're going. <laughs> and I want you to know he came, no doubt about it. And so there's all kinds of adventure, all kinds of things that can happen. Uh, one of the, the other thing is they talk about the power of invitation. Bus ministry was the rage back then, and it really worked as people went around knocking on doors, inviting children to ride the bus. And now that will not work today because of change. I won't go into explain all that, but there's reasons for that. And so we've got to find a different way. And so uh, I was out knocking on doors and help, taking people with me, trying to teach them how to do it. We had this guy in our church who was the most bashful guy just about that I could ever, uh, ever know. And uh, and I, it just didn't seem reasonable, but I asked him if he might be willing to get involved in the bus ministry as a bus captain, which would mean this bashful, backward guy would have to go out on, to, on the streets in strange homes and be knocking on doors and inviting people to ride the bus. It just seemed such an unlikely thing. And he said, well, you know something, Pastor? God's laid that on my heart. I said, wonderful, Doug. Doug Davis was his name. He's got his son in this church, grandchildren in this church. And Doug Davis is in heaven now, probably, hopefully, listening to this message and being excited about uh, what has been produced as a result of his vision. And there's all kinds of people in this church that are here as a result of the bus ministry. I just met somebody the other day that's back here, and as a result of coming here years ago on the buses. So you just never know uh, the overflow and the outflow of all of that as we do our part. And so I remember Doug Davis and I, I can't go into all the details because I'm, I'd be taking too long here. Oh, my word, that clock goes so fast up there. Um, but anyway, Doug, uh, uh, he went out knocking on doors. He got all excited, and uh, he set goals for his bus. Now, we had 60 passenger buses. And so one big rally day, I was up front on the platform, and old Doug, bashful Doug, he comes down the aisle. I'm, I'm talking now, and, the, and something's going on in the service, and old Doug comes down the aisle like he owned the place. I mean, this whatever bashfulness he had had totally disappeared, and he come across in front of me, interrupted the service, and said, Pastor, thought you might like to see what a bus looks like that's got 128 on it. <laughs> well, I got somebody else to take charge. I went out to where the bus was, and there was a bus packed to overflowing. People standing. I don't know how many had fainted because there was no place for them to fall if they had fainted. It was so packed full. And when they all came in, spontaneous. Now, this is in a day when people just didn't give standing ovations hardly ever. But when that crowd came in, the whole crowd, the whole church jumped to its feet and began to clap and cheer and rejoice because of the potential of a bunch of people coming to know Jesus as Savior. I say hallelujah. And so the power, the power of invitation. It was C.K. Chesterton that said this, and it may appear on the screen here this morning. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult, therefore not tried. And I'm saying to us this morning, we're going to get the message out, aren't we? 
God help us, we're going to get the message out. We are going to try through the power and the grace of God. And if everybody gets involved, which I'm sure everybody will, then we'll see unbelievable things take place. Now, to get into the Scripture passage, I, I think you all heard that clearly as, as Kurt read it to us, because Jesus had been talking to the woman at the well about her relationship with God. And, in that, and he also was talking about the fields being white under harvest. Listen, have you ever known a time in history when there's a greater need when there is, that there, than there is right now? I mean, the need, the need with all the brokenness and all the broken homes and broken families and corruption and sin, the need is greater than seemingly ever before in all of history. And so Jesus saw those fields being white under harvest, and he was concerned, and his disciples were concerned about him because they thought he was hungry, he, didn't have, he hadn't been eating, and they asked him, would you like something to eat? And Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of the Father. Another passage says, my nourishment, another uh, translation, my nourishment is to do the will of the Father. Another one says, my meat is to do the will of the Father. Now, what is that? What is that? It was in the context of having a part in helping get people to Jesus. And I'm saying this to us, and I hope we hear this if you haven't heard anything else, that there is a spiritual food, there is a spiritual energy, there is a spiritual blessing, there's a spiritual power, there is a spiritual uh, satisfaction that can come in no other way than having some part in helping get somebody to Jesus. You can read the Bible all day long. You can go to church all day long. You can, you can pray all day long. And you're still going to be missing out on a vital, important part of your spiritual diet, which is doing something in relation to the white fields that are ready to be harvested, and it will rot unless we do something about it and we get into gear and get into action. And then we read in also in uh, John chapter 20 and uh, 20, or 21, rather, in verse 20. Uh, 20, rather, and verse 21. My apologies. So Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now look, if I had the time, what I would really like to do this morning, because everybody's responsibility sometimes is nobody's responsibility. So everybody looks and says, well, somebody else will do it. If I could do what I really wanted to do, I would come down there and I would say, this means you, 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 and, and, and touch every person that's a, a Christian here today and say, say to you, this means you, not somebody else. It means you. It means me getting involved and seeing the, the opportunity that God has placed before us. And when we have a part, there's a food, there's an energy. I, I, I'm wanting to 
trying to stay within a certain time here, which is a little difficult for me to do. But um, I remember one time when I was, I was energyless. Something had happened that had devastated me, and it's the only time I've ever been this way that I ever remember, so that I could hardly put one foot ahead of the other. And I was pastoring this church, and, and it was just like I, couldn't, I didn't have the energy to do anything for, for almost an entire week. And, and, uh, and came down to Saturday, and I had two messages to prepare, one for Sunday morning and one for Sunday night, and it takes about 10 to 20 hours to prepare a message, and I did not have a message. Can you imagine the dilemma of that? And I realized this is a desperate situation, and boy, oh boy, something's got to happen here. And then I remembered the scripture, you know, my meat, my nourishment, 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 nourishment is to do the will of the Father. And man, did I ever need nourishment. And that nourishment is in relation to helping see people come to Christ. I'm not talking about you having to be the person that leads them. Just having some part, whatever that may be, might be just the invitation. And they come here and they become a Christian or somebody else leads them to Christ. But anyway... I realized I needed something. What was I going to do? I had to preach and didn't have a thing to preach because I just was useless. And I remembered somebody that had raised a hand for prayer in a church service. I went to visit that person on the other side of the city on a Saturday afternoon, thought maybe I might catch them alone. And sure enough, I did and talked to them about their relationship with Christ. And just to make a long story short as possible, I said, is there any reason why you couldn't become a Christian right here this afternoon? He said, not a reason in the world. He was one of these decisive kind of guys. And, and, uh, and so he prayed the sinner's prayer, and he asked Christ into his life. And I was, he, he's passed away now, but I had part in his funeral not too awful long ago. And anyway, uh, then I found out that he was somewhat wealthy. And I didn't, I didn't know that when I went to visit him at all. didn't know anything about him, really. And I remember I had to go to the airport that day to pick up somebody, and I was so fired up and so energized. I didn't, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm trying to keep it down here. I was just wild with excitement and enthusiasm. And here I'd just gone from being deader than a doornail to being more alive than I'd ever been before. And, and I got to the airport to pick up this guy. And I said, when I picked him, he must have thought I was some kind of a crazy fanatic. I said, hallelujah, I've just delivered a million-dollar baby, I'm telling you. And, and, uh, and, and I had an old diesel Volkswagen that was the most useless thing that ever was on the face of the earth. You'd have to make an appointment to get by somebody. It was so dead and so useless. And I remember that old Volkswagen even had seemed to have more power as I came back across the city. But I'll tell you what, there is something about it. I cannot explain it. If we can have a part, and we can, listen, and it's not an if. Every breathing born-again person in this place can do it. Do you hear me? Do you believe that? Some of you don't. Tell by the look on your face. You can do it. You can do it. Amen. Help me. Help me. <laughs> you can do it. Someone put it this way. For some, Christianity has become theory over practice. Sounds good. We sing the greatest stuff we did this morning. And as this is imparted in us, if we really believe this, every one of us will be having a part in doing what I'm talking about this morning, if you really believe what you're saying. No question about it. It will happen. But I say, 
Christianity has become, someone has said Christianity has become theory over practice. You know what I like to say to that? Not here and not us. We're going to put it into practice. Amen? We're going to put it into practice and make it happen and see the results that will glorify God as a result of it happening. John Rowan said, the same walls we build to keep out disappointments. Some people don't get involved in this because they're afraid to be disappointed if somebody says no. And there's going to be plenty of people that will say no. But I'll tell you what, if you invited 100 people, do you suppose you might get one that would say yes? And that would be worth it all. That would be worth it all. But he says, the same walls we build to keep out disappointments also keep out happiness. The happiness and the satisfaction of knowing you've had a part in helping somebody get to Jesus because you took the time to invite them to come to a place like this. And then, amen. Well, you know something, Shirley? I'd have to agree with you this morning. <clears throat> and we take for granted that people don't want to be invited. I, I spoke at a church in... Uh, in Fredericton, I did a consultation with Smyth Street Cathedral. And I, there's a lot involved in all that, but I met with their leadership. And there was one very sharp, uh, involved person in the leadership team that said, I thought you had to have an invitation to come to church. And so she said, I was hoping that my neighbor would invite me to her church. But she never did. I waited and waited, and it never happened. Finally, somebody, she said, did invite me to Smyth Street. I'm here today. I became a Christian, and here she was involved in the leadership of the church because somebody took the time to do the right thing and invite her to come to church. And she was an integral part, a great influence to the glory of God in that church. If it hadn't been for wonderful, godly people in this church, back there 48 years ago, 45 years ago, that were willing to pay the price, we'd still be there. 90% of you wouldn't be here. This place wouldn't be in existence. It has been because there have been enough people that have had the vision, had the passion, had the wherewithal, had the love for God, had the willingness to do the uncomfortable. You know, I talked to a guy here all fired up the other day, and he was talking to me about what he used to be and how he used to function, and, and he just wouldn't get involved in certain things. And he said he, when I first came back here, because of something I had preached, he decided he needed to get out of his comfort zone. And I'll tell you what, that transformed him into an excited, enthusiastic, energized, fulfilled person because he was doing what God said to do. And when we get involved in his plan and his purpose, I'll tell you what, something is going to rise up and something is going to come alive within us. And then the Scripture says, and this, is just, this just fits so perfectly, in that 36th verse, that verse 36, it says, look at here. This part's not supposed to be here, guys, but anyway, this part, rejoice, rejoice. There will be, there will be rejoicing. 
Listen, the greatest rejoicing days in this place when people have seen people come to Jesus and see them take their stand for Jesus and give their testimony and see 101 people baptized out there in that wasn't that an unbelievable day that we had because of people rejoicing. People were crying. People were raising their hands. People who were dead were now Pentecostals. They were so fired up because of what God had done in their lives. And we rejoiced with them as we saw all of that take place. Now, let me tell you something. There's a clear path here, a very clear path, so that every person here can be a part of that rejoicing. Not because of what somebody else has done, but because of what God has called you to do, every one of us, to have a part in helping to get other people to Christ. We're going to have a four-week series. Two weeks from today it will begin. And we're, we've got 10,000 invitation business cards that we're going to give out. And these messages are titled in such a way that they will be a help to the person who is not a Christian in their journey and hopefully see them come to Christ. And it will be help to every believer in their journey. Just to give you an idea, the four messages, the titles, what to do when nothing makes sense. We've all been there. How can I be free of the past? We've all been there. Why am I here? And then, is this as good as it gets? And as we pass out these invitations, there's 16 in a packet, which means every person in this place will receive a packet this morning. And so that would amount to a little over three a week. And maybe if you could give them out on the front end before the series starts, that would even be better. And this will give them an idea where the church is and what the church is and, and, and something they can tangibly have. It's small, it's easy, it's compact, it's not cumbersome, and it's something that we can all do you know, almost every day. We could see somebody. It doesn't even have to be people that we know it could be anybody, but the people we know, it probably would even have a greater influence as we do that. Now, yesterday morning, I was here for, when I came in, the place was all in darkness. There were tents all over the place. And then I went up to my office and then waited until breakfast time. And I came down and mingled with everybody that I could. And I did a whole bunch of interviews. And this, this is a question that I asked in those interviews. By the way, my time is up preaching-wise, but I'm done preaching now, so just in case somebody's running, I'm now doing something else. And so, so anyway, in those interviews, I said, uh, if, if we gave out 10,000 of these invitations, what percentage of people do you think would come as a result of one of these invitations? And I had anything from 5% to 50%. Now, Probably the 50% people said 50% trying to make me feel good or something. I don't know. And then I asked the question, of that, whatever that percentage would be, how many of those people would come to Christ? And most people said between 10 and 20% would come to know Christ. So I said, I thought to myself, I'm going to take the most conservative number possible. And let's just say that only 5% came as a result of the invitation. And 10% of those receive Christ. That would be 50 people coming to know 
Christ as Savior. Now, I think it's going to be a lot more than that. But you stop and think about this. If 50 people came over a period of months, and we were to do this every month for the next 12 months, how many does that amount to? 600 people coming to know Christ who otherwise might not have ever come to know Christ. And you know, this is so biblical. It was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. And, and that was, and I love your prayer, brother, the invitation thing that made that happen. And, and so there is so much here. There's no higher purpose, nothing that will bring us more alive spiritually than being involved. If you're in the doldrum spiritually, I'll tell you, this will, this will shock you out of those doldrums. If you enter into this great adventure of doing God's will and being in harmony with his purpose, which is a higher purpose than any other purpose he had, or he wouldn't have sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross that this purpose might be fulfilled. He paid a high price for this purpose. And now we are his, we are his voice to help that purpose to be fulfilled. And this will mean your immediate blessing, and it will mean eternal blessing for the person that comes to know Jesus as Savior. Are we up for it? Are we up for it? We're going to sing here, and, and this song has to do with parched ground and desert-like ground, and I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people who are in that place spiritually, and the rains can come down, and the, and, and the life can uh, come up as a result of these parched grounds receiving that river of blessing that will come from God as we all say yes to His will. God bless you. Thank you for being so responsive.